0: Welcome to ModPath Chat, the official podcast of Modern Pathology, featuring interviews with authors and experts on the latest science, technology, and developments in the field of pathology. Your host, Dr. George Neto, is the Editor-in-Chief of Modern Pathology and the Chair of Pathology at the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Here's Dr. Neto. Welcome to ModPath Chat. Modern Pathology has recently launched a new series of review articles around controversial issues in pathology. Today and in future episodes, I will be hosting some of the distinguished authors of that series. So in that context, it's my pleasure to host today, Dr. Elizabeth Montgomery. Dr. Montgomery is a world-renowned GI pathology expert. She is a professor and vice chair of academic development at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine. Liz is here today to give us her point of view, surely not without controversy, on the utility or lack of, we'll see, of ancillary testing for the diagnosis and stratification of risk in Barrett uh, esophagus patient with dysplasia. Thank you, Liz, for accepting my invitation.
1: Thanks for having me, and thanks for having us make our comments about uh, how we felt about ancillary studies and the diagnosis and. Risk Assessment of Barrett's Esophagus and Dysplasia. And of course, as you know, uh, your journal published this piece. Oh gosh, I, I have it right in front of me. So I think it started, it was published online in uh, March of this year, 2022, uh, basically at your initiative. And so together with um, the very productive talk Choi and Greg Lowers, uh, I with them, analyze some of the things that are available. And some of them are really, really cool. And some of them, in my opinion, are kind of disappointment, disappointing. All right. So I guess, oh, sorry.
0: No, no, okay. go ahead. Yeah.
1: By way of backdrop, I think we all have to deal with these darn Barrett's esophagus biopsies. There are a lot of chronic refluxing folks in the US and, of course, worldwide, but most, many in the US. And we can struggle with reactive changes versus dysplasia. It's kind of like for you, the urologic pathologist in the bladder, oh my gosh, is this Uh reactive or is this neoplastic? So obviously we have the same struggles. Observer variation is suboptimal. We do a great job recognizing cancers. We do a wonderful job recognizing high-grade dysplasia, but uh, we don't do so well in distinguishing reactive and low-grade dysplasia or even nothing from just reparative changes. So for many years, colleagues have been trying to do better with ancillary techniques, and that's kind of what the piece was about. Mm-hmm.
0: And and just uh, for the people who don't do Barrett's esophagus, thankfully I'm one of them uh, every day, look at these. There are major, there are some significant management implications, right? Uh, if you if you call something low grade versus indeterminate versus high grade. Uh, so can you just touch on what is right now, what happened if you call low grade? What happened if you call high grade? Why? Oh, that's
1: a great point. So if we say there's no dysplasia, the patient just comes back for a follow-up in a few years. Uh, some people say bring them back in a year. Some people say bring them back in three years. It depends on the quality of the exam low-grade dysplasia is not that perfectly reproducible. So usually the patient is brought back for additional biopsies. And then the gastroenterology societies ask colleagues to send those biopsies for a so-called expert opinion, but it's sort of hard to know who's an expert, what's an expert. And those people, if their dysplasia is confirmed, in the past were just followed, but nowadays they have uh, they receive endoscopic mucosal ablation either by something that just zaps the mucosa or by uh, a local resection uh, done endoscopically. In the past, those of us who do GI pathology used to really chew our nails about diagnosing high-grade dysplasia because it uh, warranted esophagectomy. And obviously nobody wants to do that to a patient for something that can't metastasize. Nowadays, high-grade dysplasia is always treated endoscopically as is the very earliest invasion, the invasion into the lamina propria. So that's all now handled endoscopically, unless the patient just goes crazy and can't deal with uh, a non-definitive therapy. Of course, if we see a poorly differentiated component or vascular space invasion in an intramucosal or superficially invasive cancer, some of those patients do end up having a larger operation. But the big thing now is taking it out endoscopically or blading it. So it's a total game changer. So we don't actually stress as much about the, the dysplastic lesions as far as grading now. We just want to say dysplasia or no dysplasia, but sometimes we can't even do that. So <laughs> yeah.
0: well, here's where potentially ancillary testing can 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 help you. And uh, I'm That's so glad, no, no stress is good, we, we like that. Uh, the yeah, less no stress
1: big, is excellent.
0: Wellness is important. So uh, we
1: so, love yeah, wellness. So,
0: so among, uh, I, I was fascinated, you know, you got the Watts, you got the tissue cipher, you got Barrageen. my goodness. Uh, you got uh, fish and DNA flow. Uh, a lot of things reading this open access paper, by the way, uh, that I recommend to the audience to go and fetch it uh, and read it uh, in detail. So, what do you think among all these? Uh, w- do you like any of these? You mentioned that you like some and some you're not so crazy about. So, let's. let's... Oh,
1: absolutely. So, I actually think the tissue cipher is super, super cool. The only trouble is that it's super, super expensive. So it's not practical. And I was actually so impressed when I saw what these folks had uh, put into it. So basically, they take first the pathologist, signs out the biopsy, no revenue stream is lost by the pathologist. And then they cut a whole bunch of sections, and they like to do it on negatives and indefinites because uh, basically, once we say it's dysplastic and we do it well, everything's fine. Um And basically they analyze for the usual suspects like P53, but they also do out of the box things that they sorted out. And I will just read the list. They do P16, Amacar, um, obviously not what you guys do, HER2, they even do CD68 and they also do HIF1 and then a T cell marker. And then they put it through, they do it all on fluorescent images. And they put it through their little special algorithm. It's all done by a machine. uh, So the machine doesn't get a headache or have a bad mood. uh, And they pop out a score. And it's really, really cool. What's interesting, though, is that expert pathology diagnoses of low-grade dysplasia outperform this test for Mm -hmm. predicting progression. Yes, outperform. Outperform HE only expert diagnosis outperforms uh, pr- positive predictive value. What the machine does that the people can't do is they can take the negative for dysplasia and pull out ones in their little formula uh, that are the ones that are likely to progress. We cannot do that with our eyeballs. So it's super cool. But the downside, it's got an ICD code, so the endoscopist can bill for it. It's $5,000 a pop. Wow. So so it's only rich people who are going to get it. And uh, if they put it in for reimbursement, they don't get $5,000. I think they get somewhere in the 2000 range and they just take it. But it's super expensive. So it's really kind of basically for rich people or who have fancy insurance or whatnot. But it's re- I think it's really, really cool. And probably things like that will get cheaper over time. So I kind of like that one. Mm-hmm.
0: How about uh, just poor man P53? I, uh, I saw that as, and it seems.
1: Uh, yeah, little. poor man P53, it's wonderful. Um, I don't use it in my daily practice, but I see so darn many of the things that I feel perfectly comfortable diagnosing stuff without it. There is a recent um, paper out by Mark Redston and his colleagues, and they were they published data saying oh if you do p53s on everybody and you see a mutation pattern and then they published what they thought was a mutation pattern they did some correlation with sequencing uh, they were able to pull out some what they called progress pull out some progressors the trouble is that there were very very few non-dysplastic p53 positive people in their study who progressed so who knows what it means And then uh, another issue, of course, is that we don't know how many intervening endoscopies the patient had and whether this was a new thing that popped up in those patients. So we don't really know, but their data were very provocative. And I certainly occasionally get a hand-holding P53, and I know that colleagues do as well. So I, I guess you don't do Barrett's. But occasionally it can be super helpful if you're struggling about inflammatory changes, and you get this very positive point mutation pattern. Uh, On the other hand, a P53 stain costs more than sending it out to a consultant. So it's around $100 a pop to do a P53, and it's slightly less to do um, just send it out to a consultant. I thought that was really interesting with the
0: Medicare business. And it's uh, I I fully agree. We have to always be mindful of the cost and and the reward on on uh, the investment and uh, pay payer. So uh, and and I realize like some protocols like the Seattle calls for multiple multiple biopsies. Yeah. and and so, yes. and so and
1: endoscopists don't follow it. They're I'm not going to call them lazy. I think they're just pressured to see a lot of patients and they're in a hurry, so they don't follow the protocol. So obviously, the idea of having a magic thing that will pull out what was missed is wonderful. Does P53 work? Eh. Does tissue cipher work? Maybe. And so these these are good.
0: How about this? uh, Interesting, this was... Uh, which is like a whole image uh, trans-epithelial scan or whatever. Uh, so so what is how does that work? Can uh, so, and what do you think of it?
1: Um I um have to be I have to behave when I talk about Watts. A few years back, I wrote a very unflattering, scathing art uh, editorial about it with my former colleague Marcia canto. and we we were not impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, what Watts does is it's a special brush that just scrapes the heck out of the esophagus. So that's why it's called um wide area uh, trans epithelial sampling. And okay. it basically is this giant brush that makes a huge sweep all around the esophagus, puts it in the proprietary medium. Uh, they do all this slide preparation is made and then a machine looks at it and chooses areas for a human. Uh, and it comes up with a diagnosis. The only problem is that, in my opinion, it vastly overcalls things, and uh, and the reason for that, in in my opinion, is that it's just scraping the heck out of the esophagus. So you get all the basal glands, and of course they have big nuclei. Of course they look atypical. So it really sets up for overcalls. And I think actually there was an interesting study that the folks who do WATs. Uh, funded, and they had almost 13,000 patients. And they boasted in this study that, oh, using this, we were able to detect over 200 additional patients with dysplasia than standard pinch biopsies. But the minor detail that they didn't put in their bragging abstract is that most of those new dysplasias were indefinite. Mm. So it, it it overcalls, in my opinion. It, it sounds advanced. like
0: you don't like it. I don't.
1: don't. And I have expressed my opinion in editorials. I um, like yeah. Folks are welcome to form their own opinions. Of course, and that's
0: why it's controversies in pathology. So I'm sure
1: great.
0: Uh, I wish we had, uh, you know, uh, the ability to, to sample uh, every opinion in all podcasts. And, well, and some
1: people and, love it because yeah. it really does do a big quick screen. The trouble is that, in my opinion, it overcalls. So it, it it probably will ultimately have a proper use. Actually, a proper use that I think it could have in the future is picking up gastric intestinal metaplasia. Because think about it, the stomach is huge. The esophagus is a little bitty tube. What if you want to pull out the folks to do surveillance on with stomach, right? Mm-hmm. If you can scrape the heck out of the stomach and pull out who has intestinal metaplasia, that's a great screen because the ones who don't, Send them along. Send them along. Sorry for my poor speaking. So yeah, I'm not a fan of what's for the esophagus. I know some are.
0: All right, and that takes us to uh, the next technology, which is uh, a little bit more uh, more closer to what we do, which is fish, right? So fish absolutely and DNA seems to have a role too.
1: I think fish has has a limited role just because it ends up being cumbersome. And so the, I don't think the company was even able to take off. I'm looking at the handy dandy chart uh, about the fish and it's not commercially available but it does pick out high grade dysplasia but you already are gonna see that on the pinch biopsies and it's gonna be the same tissue. So it, it hasn't really caught on. I believe it's Mayo Clinic that offered it. Let me double check.
0: Yes. Correct. Yeah, it was Mayo right.
1: that offered it and it kind of never got off running. So it's interesting, but it hasn't gone as far as say Eurovision has and, with urothelial uh, samples.
0: Correct, and some of the markers overlap between uh, the tissue cipher and-
1: Yeah, well, you they have
0: the P16 do. The P16 and the HER2, but you have-
1: Yeah.
0: An and uh, zinc finger and uh, 217 and what have wonderful so it
1: hasn't really caught on and then i guess same with flow i guess because the preparation is somewhat cumbersome but you can absolutely use flow to triage people and you can use flow to pull up people who are more likely to progress but you wouldn't really want to ablate them based on that data so similarly flow has not really caught on very well
0: so in reality you were we're back to square one, unless you want to shell $5,000, it's it's probably get a second opinion. And by the way, my understanding from reading that that it is kind of, you said you have to show to an expert, but I guess a local expert, it doesn't necessarily mean-
1: They're very vague. And I know Dutch colleagues uh, published a paper about what's an expert and they had you know they ha- they have to have a certain number of percentage of low grades and blah 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 in prospectively collected cases they wanted you to see a certain volume but in the end it's a it's kind of subjective what was interesting is that i know that i actually ended up reviewing some slides for um i was not given any money uh, that was the tissue cipher people. And during the course of that, I learned, in fact, that the expert pathologists in the U.S., who ne- almost never do P53 stains, outperformed uh, pathologists in Europe on that same trial. And they always get a P53. And it was almost as though the P53 handicapped them. So we predicted progression way better on H&E than they did. Mm-hmm. on HE and P53. So it was it was a
0: very interesting observation. So it sounds to me, you know, uh H and E still still rules and show to an expert. And uh, and <laughs> as long as you make the cut to dysplasia or no dysplasia with confidence, it's it's okay, right?
1: That's right. That's right. Um what's interesting to me is that As you know, and you're probably more knowledgeable about this than I am, but AI, artificial intelligence, is probably going to elevate us all. And there are some AI studies on ferrets. At least the AI flags the stuff for a human to check very, very well in the studies that I've seen. Uh, Do we want to throw away the pathologist? No, because AI is AI and it's only as good as the data set that goes into it. And of course, as you know, from your, you know, your high level expertise in urologic pathology, there are itty bitty little variants that us nerds know about that obviously you can't even teach the machine because they're so uncommon I mean, I know I've kind of heard you prostate people talk about these weird immunostaining patterns, and you still know it's cancer, even though it stains funny. So there's all that kind of stuff. You still need a human to supervise even very good AI. But I think AI will bring less comfortable pathologists to a higher higher level and closer to an expert level. So I think it'll be pretty cool as it develops.
0: Even on h and alone, absolutely, and the idea would be that it's mm-hmm. it it add a layer of uh, efficiency, triage, and and confirmation, even in prostate and absolutely.
1: others. So absolutely, that's,
0: that's where we're heading, and uh, so it's a welcome actually contribution. Well, uh, thank you very much. This uh, this has been informative, and uh, I always like how uh, I knew you're gonna have some. Uh, some opinions and and I knew we we're going to be talking about some clinicians uh, in, uh, in not as uh, as uh, funny uh, as it may seem in terms of uh, they're lazy or not lazy. Then. No, they're not I, lazy.
1: I, yeah. They're just like, ah, I've got 20 patients piled up in the hall and oh, I'll try to biopsy as fast as I can.
0: Well, Elizabeth, thank you. Uh, always a colorful conversation and As we uh, mentioned in the past, uh, these episodes now these uh, podcasts. Although they're podcasts, uh, they're also available on YouTube, on the video. And speaking of colorful, uh, I'll I'll let you uh, sign on to the YouTube and see the beautiful colors that uh, Elizabeth is wearing. And uh, if you notice that there is some. Casual interaction uh, among us is the reason we spent 12 years uh, together, literally next door, office to office uh, at Hopkins before uh, she, uh, Elizabeth, moved to Miami and I, I came here. uh, Well, you've
1: seen me in my weaker moments, so we won't mention that.
0: (laughs) We are colleagues uh, forever, and uh, I've always uh, been impressed with the wealth of information that you have. We didn't talk about soft tissue. We'll have you again for soft tissue. You're two experts in one, uh, so uh, I'm sure uh, we'll have you again on the podcast. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.